to be astonished. It's that time again. Let's get started. From the Clatsop County Historical Society, an adventure in history with Matt Burns and Alana Quila. You should never be allowed to talk to people. Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. And now, with today's adventure, it's Mac and Alana. Good evening, and welcome back to another adventure in history. It's we've had just us. I, I know it, it's, it's so nice. it's a quiet in here. There's there's quiet. a lot of hodgepodge stuff though. Yes, because there's things that we've not really discussed. There's always things to talk about. So everybody's healthy. Yes. Okay. Yep. And masks or no masks. Masks are off at school. Um, however, with my six-year-old, you know, we did allow her to make the decision about whether she not or not she wanted to wear a mask. We talked about it, and I know they talked about it at school. So, so a six-year-old. So, mm-hmm. so what was her decision? What do you think? I think she chose to wear it. She did. Yeah. I was really surprised. I, I don't know. I mean, as, as much as she's like really crazy, dangerous, adventuresome. Yeah. I think that she's been around you enough, and you've been very careful. We have. This. So I think that that stuck. And that she, lesson. she still said too, she's like, well, I'm not going to get any colds. I'm not, you know, nothing's going to happen. So that's the one thing good. about, about the mass that I love. Like yeah. nobody in my house has had a cold in two years. I know. Well, I'm going to spring break. We're going into spring break this <laughs> yes. week for yes. most of us. So you don't get a spring break. Sorry. Never. Um, it is nice not to, not to be sick, but <laughs> it's, it's pretty amazing at the, the Flavel house. We put, we put signs up mm-hmm. at all of our museums that say, please continue to socially distant from other people, six feet, and please consider wearing a mask for the safety of volunteers and then other guests and yeah. staff. And at least uh, the first week of no masks, about half to 75% of the people are still wearing masks. I think that's a pretty good, uh, that's a nice. I was very surprised. Nice odds. Yeah. I carry mine. And if somebody wants like an extended talk, if I happen to be in the house, then I put my mask on. Mm-hmm. And if somebody's a close talker, <laughs> Yeah, I, I take two steps back and they, they close the distance still and I make sure I put my mask on for them. And, and we're masks off on the air. Not yes. that people knew, but we are. <laughs> no masks this time. <laughs> people are going to say it doesn't sound any different. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so um, speaking of masks, yes. I made a plea and I'm going to continue to make a plea mm-hmm. that um, few of our, our volunteer docents in the Flavel House have chosen to to stay away and and there's no fault in that because people are some people are not wearing masks right and we don't know their backgrounds we don't know if they're plague carrying horrible people or whether they have vaccinated and they're safe right so we do have some holes in our schedule and if you're interested in volunteering please go to our website and or contact us and volunteers can still wear masks oh absolutely and you do and even today um i walked through uh, and, and you have some volunteers wearing masks so. you saw people in masks yep. yeah um, yeah. So, and actually, even the, the paid staff, about half are still wearing masks. Right. I carry mine with me. So sometimes you might see me without, sometimes you might see me with, but it kind of depends if I'm... How comfortable you feel. Just out, like If I'm outside in the, cool, in the cool breeze, <laughs> then I'm probably not wearing one. Yes. But if I'm having an extended conversation and I don't know where you're from and I don't know your background, right. I'm probably wearing a mask. <laughs> you start hacking away. So uh, let's see what else is on my list of... of tidbitty stuff. Oh, so a little plug. Yes. Uh, a couple weekends ago, went down to uh, McVinville. Okay. Went to the Spruce Goose. Yeah, fun. So I did not, in previous visits, pay the extra fee to sit in the cockpit. Ooh. 
it was kind of worth it. How interesting. <laughs> What's the extra fee? It's like $5? Um, $10? There were four of us, and I think I paid an extra 20 bucks a person. Oh, my goodness. To sit. Okay. Yeah. I can see why you didn't. And see, I was a little like, wait a minute. Yeah. But but somebody in our group, my daughter, wanted to do it. Sure. So we're like, all right, we'll all do it. Just one time. And you get like kind of a whole behind the scenes tour, though. Okay. Because if you've been there, you like climb into the, you climb up the steps, and you're just in a little bit of the hold area, and you're in this glass cube, and that's all you can see. But they take you beyond the glass cube oh. and then up some stairs and there's this whole like control room and you see the storage area, the, the, the hold of the plane a little bit more, the wings. You can hmm. look down inside the wings and then you like get to sit in the cockpit. And does it feel even more massive? Uh, it kind of does. Yeah. It, it really did enhance the, I mean, I always hate the add-on fees for anything. Right. But I, for a one-time shot, it was actually kind of worth it. And it was more than just the cockpit, it sounds yeah. like. So. Yeah, because you got this whole tour. Right. Um, although the tour guide had some rel- relative, it was like his great uncle that worked on it. And, <laughs> and he's very annoyed that it's called the Spruce Goose because that was kind of a mocking term and it oh. shouldn't have been called. It's like the F5 or J5 or something. Right, which really so, sticks with you. Yeah, which obviously <laughs> didn't. And it was very funny because he's like, so who's the who's the, the big Spruce Goose aficionado? And all of us were like, we just thought we'd come here. Oh. <laughs> and he was kind of disappointed at oh. one of us. And then he's like, how many saw the, the, the Aviator movie with Leonard? And we're like, we think we saw it and he's trying to point out all the mistakes in it and we're all like okay whatever yeah, it's a movie and you didn't tell him that you're the director of uh no, of course you know. of course not yeah so, <laughs> he would have so, liked that though yeah probably so a little plug it was kind yeah, of it was worth it's all fun we um, got a, there's a good exhibit here too though well and we just had uh, this past week an open house i love it for the fire departments oh, exciting, of, yeah. of clatsop county and we had a bunch come it's the uh this has been a terrible day the Great Story of Fire of 1922. And I'm really excited. It's yeah. at the Heritage Museum in the Parker Gallery. And uh, it's sponsored by our good friends, Anne and Tony Surrett, in honor of uh, Terrence Surrett, uh, who was the assistant fire uh, chief officer in London, oh, on the fire nice. brigade in London. I like that. Yeah, I like it too. Um, but it was kind of neat. The firefighters that came, they were like, this is a really good exhibit. It looks great. What did they think? So. Did you hear any, you know, oh, this so just be awful. I mean, did you hear any of how I'm got, so glad I'm not a firefighter back then? I, I didn't really yeah. eavesdrop because I kind of wanted to let them just mm-hmm. go through it if they wanted to laugh at things or chuckle about, oh, my gosh, they use that. And yeah. thank goodness we don't. But it was it's a great exhibit. It's going to be up all year. That's great. It's nice. I like it. And then my other little bit of, of, uh, of news I announced like four or five months ago that one of our properties in the Clatsop County Historical Society takes care of six old buildings and we operate four museums. But one of them, there was a little black rabbit that I, <laughs> I called Mr. Flopsy that I was seeing. Yes, and, and you wanted and, more. And Mr. Flopsy made me happy. He's, he's a little black bunny rabbit. And he's gotten larger. He obviously likes the grass where he is a lot. And he's, he's like this big fat rabbit now, which makes me happy. But the other night, I was going past, and there were three bunny rabbits. Two of them were big black bunny rabbits. So now I wonder if I've seen somebody else besides Mr. Flopsy. Well, you might end up with a lot of rabbits. And I I haven't (laughs) seen, I saw, like one night later, I saw the two black rabbits. The other one was like a dark gray. So I don't know if he was just visiting, and there's two black rabbits that I've been seeing now for six months. Calling the same name. Yeah, so, so now it's Mr. Flopsy, Mr. Mopsy, and Bob. Oh, and Bob. Bob sounds fun. <laughs> Bob He's the gray one. Right? Bob might have been the gray one that's <laughs> yeah. just visiting. If there's a third black one, there we go. We'll have another name. But, so I just thought I should give a report about Mr. Flopsy. Good. 
<laughs> We're so happy to hear the bunnies are doing well. I, I stupidly am happy about the bunny rabbit, I have to say. <laughs> for now. I'll remind you about this. So anything no. newsworthy for you? No, weather's getting great. Spring break. We're, we're happy you're here with us tonight. So it's good. All right. Shall we get to the uh, history highlights? Yes. So these are things that happened uh, tomorrow, March 21st, 1791. Ooh. Captain Hopley Yeaton becomes the first commissioned officer in the Revenue Marine, later the Revenue Cutter Service, the forerunner of the modern U.S. Coast Guard. Oh. Okay. I didn't know where that was going. I okay. figured you did. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> and it was almost yeah. New Reality Day, just because selfishly, we love the Coast Guard. Of course we do. So technically speaking, Captain Hopley Yeaton is the first commissioned officer. And what year was that again? 1791. Wow. I don't know what I th- what I think about that name, though. Hopley. <laughs> <laughs> for, for a boat? <laughs> well, that's his for name. For a captain. For yeah. a captain of a boat. I don't know. Captain Yeaton. You see, I, I hope he never used that name. I hope it was just Captain Yeaton. I don't know. All right. 1922. KGWAM in Portland, Oregon begins radio transmission. Ooh, good for them. Is there still a KGWAM or just a TV sh- TV station? Just the TV. KGW. You know how you can tell who are the oldest TV stations or radio stations? No. They're the three letters. They're three. <gasps> Instead of four. Instead of four. Of course. Yep. So they're the first and then oh. they were allowed not, they didn't have to change. Mm. So they could, they could grandfather close yep. it in. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if they owned both a radio station and a TV for a while, or if they immediately dropped and switched over. I don't know. Or just the airwave, right? Mm. 1936, Persia is officially renamed Iran. Mm. I like Persia. I do too. But then I feel like, is that somehow like totally inappropriate, and it's like what the British Empire named it? Oh, true. I don't know. I've, I've, I mean, I know Iran. some folks from Iran, and they refer to themselves as Persian yes. from Iran. Oh, interesting. Right. Okay. So, so maybe not as offensive as potentially yeah. offensive. Okay. 1963, Alcatraz closes its doors. I saw that. I like it. Have you ever been to Alcatraz? You know, I haven't. Uh, mm-hmm. And Mark really, really wants to go. So you and Mark could go you, sometime because visiting a prison on an island is just like, <laughs> no, it's not that exciting. It, it's but actually pretty good. I've I'm been, sure. I've been there twice. The yeah. second time they had these headphones that they really kind of pushed on you. Mm-hmm. And I was really down on that. But... It was actually a really great experience. Because there's so many stories, right? It, I mean, to tell. And, and it, you get to do it on your own, right? Aren't they self-guided? It, it activated when you were at certain areas. Yeah. So it wasn't like you had to keep a certain pace, which is what I usually shy away from. But they had stories that hmm. people were telling in their voices. Like, I was prisoner number whatever, and this was my cell. And oh, it, was, it was actually Some really good. Some good movies. It's yeah. a great, great property. It was really pretty good. Uh, 1970, first San Diego Comic-Con International opens at the U.S. Grant Hotel. Ooh, how fun. Comic-Con. Yeah, 1970. Sounds a good one. 1980, President Jimmy Carter announces Olympic boycott. That one. <laughs> yeah. <Timely. laughs> 1980s, also the famous Dallas Cliffhanger airs. J.R. Ewing is shot. Oh. Did you ever watch? No. Yeah, me neither. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the big deal was, but apparently a whole bunch of people thought so. 1983, the only known typo on Time Magazine cover. Ooh, interesting. And they recalled all of them. <gasps> and it was control was misspelled with no R, control. Oh, my goodness. And they recalled all of them? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? <gasps> that is amazing. Oh, my goodness. That would have been so expensive. I had a friend <laughs> in uh, high school whose dad worked for one of the publishing companies that owned Time, I guess. Mm-hmm. And they made two covers for, like, the election. 
1988 of who won so my friend has this cover of like congratulations president dukakis wow and it's the real cover they just slap it on at the last minute or something yeah but our history highlight of the day i think i think had the most impact on history 1965 martin luther king jr begins the march from selma to montgomery yeah i agree with you it's a good one. But before we go there, because we're going to go there, 1910, you missed Ooh. your favorite president. One of them. I think he's your favorite. Ooh. The U.S. Senate grants ex-president Teddy Roosevelt an annual pension <gasps> of $10,000. Is he the first one that gets a pension? He is. 1910. Is he your favorite? Is he the number one, Teddy? Uh, no, because it, okay. it always has to go between Washington and Lincoln. Oh, okay. For, he's your top five. For, he's definitely top five. Yeah, I've always liked TR. But no, Washington, just because he creates the presidency. Yes. And sets so many standards of this is what a president does. And then Lincoln, because come on, he saves the union. Right. Listens to his wife. So sometimes they're first, sometimes they're second. They kind of flip back and forth. But they're in a class of themselves. Of course. Right. So really, like, the real important one is who I judge as number three. Because <laughs> the other two you can't even compare to. Because they got, yeah. So, so I did look up. 10,000 so the, the president, the former presidents today get approximately 200,000. So I think that's fair. A year. After, you know, I mean, they get, uh, it's like 400,000 or something. Yeah, 400,000 plus lots their while they're working. Yes. But 200,000 plus, yeah, Secret Service. And some kind of staff. I, get, I know that there's some sure. amount for a staff of some kind. I would Not imagine. a big one, though. I think it's basically somebody to answer Like your a chief of staff, right? Oh, yes. my goodness. Can you imagine? <laughs> or, or to, like, start helping you write your <laughs> memoirs or something. Yeah, it's good. Putting, putting the library together. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good one. I like yeah. that. So TR like in 1910 yep. gets $10,000. $10, <laughs> Thank a ton you of money. for your hard work. That's probably proportionally more than it is oh, today. Oh, it could be. 1910, yeah. yeah, I'll have to check. That's a good one. Thank you. But um, Martin Luther King Jr., yes, I've been sitting one. on this one for a while. Mm-hmm. And we keep having either a really good guest or something else yeah. to talk about around Martin Luther King Day. But since we had the history highlight today, I thought we'd finally use this. Yep. So these, good. I realize. I am a mediocre historian, <laughs> and I know some things about him, but there were a lot that I didn't actually know about oh, sure. Martin Luther King Jr., so we thought we'd share some uh, some surprising or little-known facts That's good. or fun facts. So, civil rights activist and Baptist minister Martin Luther King Jr. is most remembered for his use of nonviolence and civil disobedience to advance civil rights and pursue equal opportunities for African Americans. He opposed segregation and marched on Washington, D.C. to deliver his famous I Have a Dream speech in 1963. And the following year, he won the Nobel Peace Prize for opposing racial inequality through nonviolent resistance. Tragically, MLK was assassinated in 1968 by James Earl Ray. He was then posthumously awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom and the Congressional Gold Medal. And in 1986, Martin Luther King Day was officially established as a federal holiday. Except for like Arizona. Didn't Arizona skip it or something? (laughs) I kind of remember some controversy. However, there are many other fascinating things about MLK that you may not know. So we thought we'd share them. That's kind of like the basics that I I would hope most people already know that. Right. Yes. So there's our setup. So when King was 12 years old, he decided to go to a parade instead of staying home and watching his little brother, A.D., Uh who was six at the time. In his absence, A.D. slid down a banister and ran into their grandmother, knocking her unconscious. Since she then had a heart attack, which killed her. Very tragic. King blamed himself for her death, even though his grandmother's heart attack had nothing to do with having been knocked unconscious. Embroiled in grief, King tried to kill himself by jumping out of a second-story window of his family's home. His father later recalled that King was troubled for many days following the passing of his grandmother and had difficulty sleeping. 
It's terrible. He's 12. Of Tragic. course he blames himself. Yes. It's hard to deal with those It's very things. sad. He fell in love with a white cafeteria worker. While attending seminary school in Pennsylvania in the 1940s, King dated a German woman named Betty, who was working as a cafeteria employee. His friends urged him to break up with Betty, pointing out that his father would not approve of their interracial relationship, nor of his son dating someone below his station. According to David Garrow, author of Bearing the Cross, King was heartbroken after he split up with Betty and had a difficult time getting over the relationship. However, King's father did not ultimately like his son's wife, Coretta Scott, either. (laughs) He uh, had hoped Martin Jr. would uh, marry opera singer Matilda Matilda Dobbs. Interesting. So I just think nobody was good enough right. for my, my little boy, <laughs> but Junior. So normal, normal family. Um, when King was a teenager, he got a summer job harvesting tobacco near Hartford, Connecticut. As a teen from a middle-class Southern family, he quickly learned that not everyone in the United States treated African-Americans as second-class citizens. He wrote in a letter to his father, quote, On our way here, we saw things I never anticipated to see. After we passed Washington, there was no discrimination at all. The white people here are very nice. We go to any place we want to and sit anywhere we want, end quote. He added in a note to his mother, I never thought that a person of my race could eat anywhere, but we ate in one of the finest restaurants in Hartford, and then we went to the largest shows there. Wow, way to go, Connecticut. Yeah, as a teenager. It's a good... <laughs> of all the places. Good to see that. I have to give a shout out to Connecticut. I did not see that one coming. And obviously some inspiring... Uh, Experiences for him too, right? Because yeah. he knew that he wanted to feel that way. But who would have ever guessed there was tobacco in Connecticut? <laughs> Not me. Um, his mother was also murdered. Hmm. Wow. Six years after King was assassinated, his mother, Alberta Williams King, was playing the organ at church when she was shot to death. Hmm. In 1974, a man named Marcus Wayne Chenault Jr. stood up in the front pew of the Ebenezer Baptist Church, pulled out two pistols, and began firing. He had intended to kill King's father, but killed Alberta instead because she was closer to him. She died in the same church where her son preached nonviolence. Initially, he was given the death penalty, but King's family opposed the death penalty and levied for him to receive life imprisonment instead. Yeah. Wow. Tragic. Um, He was smoking a cigarette when he was shot. There are very few photos of King smoking, even though he was known to smoke regularly. On the day he was assassinated, he was on the balcony of his hotel smoking a cigarette. He actively hid the habit for two major reasons. First, there was a social stigma attached to the habit, particularly since he was a minister. And second, he didn't want his children to see him smoke and take up the habit themselves. After he died, Reverend Kyles allegedly removed the pack of cigarettes from his pocket to conceal the fact that King was smoking when he was killed. I kind of think I knew that. Makes sense. I didn't realize that it was a kind of a secret that he was a smoker. Yeah. Or that there was a social stigma at that time because a lot of people <laughs> Every, smoked. Didn't everybody smoke? Right. Four out of five doctors yeah. recommend. But may, I mean, for a minister and then obviously a father. So That's why I always love, and you're not allowed to play them at all, but I have recordings of Winston-Salem cigarette mm-hmm. ads featuring Fred Flintstone. <laughs> I mean, how can you say it wasn't aimed at kids? Right. But, hey, Barney, <laughs> it's it's break time. What goes better with break time than a Winston? I mean, it's just amazing. All right. Um, he was nearly killed by a letter opener a decade before his assassination. During a book signing in 1958, a woman named Isola Ware Curry approached King saying, I've been looking for you for five years, and then stabbed him in the chest with a letter opener. Ugh. 
Good Lord. Doctors spent a labor-intensive three hours trying to remove the instrument as it was positioned dangerously close to King's aorta, and even the slightest slip would have killed him. Now, that one begs for a little bit more information. Yeah, who was she? And Five years she was looking right. for him. And why a letter opener? Easy to get a book signing, I guess. Ooh. Okay. He started college at age 15. King did so well in school that he was able to skip grades 9 and 12, and he was even accepted into college as a freshman at age 15. He attended Morehouse College in 1944, following in the footsteps of his father and grandfather. Initially, King had no interest in becoming a Baptist minister, even though his father, grandfather, and great-grandfather had all been called to the ministry. However, Benjamin E. Mays, the president of Morehouse, persuaded King to finish his work with the ministry. He also received his undergraduate degree in sociology and went on to obtain his second bachelor's degree in divinity from Crozer Theological Seminary in Chester, Pennsylvania. By the time he was 25, he had attained his PhD in systemic theology from Boston University. I didn't know that. Amazing. I mean, we knew he was smart, but by 25? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I'm feeling very unambitious. (laughs) Let's see. He and Coretta spent their wedding night in a funeral home. Hmm. King and his wife Coretta spent their wedding night together in a funeral home, but not because someone died. In 1953, hotels didn't offer honeymoon suites to African-American couples. So a friend offered King and Coretta an evening at his funeral home to celebrate. That's horrible. Yeah. Um, He was arrested 29 times. During his many years of social advocacy, King was arrested on numerous occasions. In fact, he was sent to jail a total of 29 times for various acts of civil disobedience, as well as other fabricated charges. One situation which occurred in 1956 resulted in his being sent to jail in Montgomery, Alabama, for driving only five miles over the speed limit. Lord help us all. Five miles. Right. Uh, He applied for a permit to carry a concealed firearm. In the 1950s, King applied for a permit to carry a concealed weapon, this being before he had begun advocating for passive resistance. He possessed a collection of firearms for self-defense and was often surrounded by armed guards who protected him and his family. One of King's colleagues, uh, Glenn Smiley, even referred to King's home as being an arsenal. King had good reason to fear for his life, as the KKK in Alabama had a target on his head. And he was threatened daily. His home mm. and churches in Montgomery had even been bombed. Of course, yeah. I that mean, only makes sense to yes. carry your, have armed guards around you yes. when you're that prominent. And you can still advocate for passive yes. uh, options instead. Um, he didn't leave his wife or children with any money after his death. King did not have, or yeah, did not have a will when he died and did not set aside any money to send his four children to college. Even though he wrote four books, received more than $50,000 for winning the Nobel Peace Prize and earned money through public speaking events and his ministry, he didn't put aside any funds for his wife or kids. Instead, King donated any money he earned to the civil rights movement as a minister. He believed it was necessary to take a vow of relative poverty. So I'm going to change that headline, and instead of saying that he didn't leave his wife with money, he left them with hope. Because he put the money elsewhere so that they could further themselves and and enjoy the things that he wanted them to enjoy. Tell your professional journalist. Yes. Because I was about to give him some Terrible headline right there, yes. (laughs) I was about to give him some grief for not... He taught them values. That's, and, that's, that's and very true. 
Yes. And he was a minister too. I'm, I can't imagine that so, the money he earned was that. I mean, that can much. you put four <laughs> kids through college on the same for all of that? I mean, yeah, no. Yeah. Although the 50 grand for winning the Nobel Prize, Peace Prize. Right. But, but he still had to have, I mean, that was his living too, was like right? One shot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was a Trekkie. Mm. He was a fan of Star Trek. King, and I did know this one. King had, uh, can be credited with persuading Nichelle Nichols to stay on as Ahura on Star Trek, the original series, mm-hmm. following the end of season one. Nichols later recalled that King wanted her to stay on the show, not only because she was a black woman playing a main character on television, but because her character wasn't written based on popular stereotypes. Nichols' character was intelligent, and the other crew members regarded her as an equal. I remember you bringing this up and before. also the first interracial kiss on TV. That's she what it was. She and, uh, and uh, Kirk. There you go. William Shatner. Yeah. Don't we all want to kiss William Shatner? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't pay her enough. <laughs> right. Uh, he got a C in public speaking. That makes me laugh. Uh, while attending his first year of seminary school, King surprisingly got a C in public speaking. However, it wasn't because he was bad at talking in front of people. In fact, his father said that King was one of the best public speakers he'd ever encountered. By the time he graduated from seminary, King had managed to raise the grade to an A. He was also student body president and valedictorian. You know, he how, excelled, I would say. Yeah. How do you... How do you make those kinds of jobs, student body president and valedictorian and not be a good public speaker. Right. And I just love his cadence. And young. I mean, obviously he was so young at that time too. His first year. Yeah. So, um, oh, that that makes me laugh too though. That that reminds me of like Stephen King once got an F in creative writing in college. (laughs) And the person wrote on it, not just wrote an F, the professor wrote besides the F, who would buy this? Oh my garbage. goodness. And uh, Stephen King actually, like when he made a whole bunch of money and sold a whole bunch of books, sent that back to the guy, the professor, and said, I guess some people like my stuff. <laughs> anyway, um, one more thing. He won a Grammy Award. No, Martin Luther King Jr. did not possess a secret singing ability that we know of. However, following his death, King won a Grammy Award for Best Spoken Word Album in 1971. He oh. received the honor for his album, Why I Oppose the War in Vietnam. On it, he said, now let me make it clear in the beginning that I see this war as an unjust, evil, and futile war. I preach to you today on the war in Vietnam because my conscience leaves me with no other choice. The time has come for America to hear the truth about this tragic war. Hmm. A Grammy. Yes, that's exciting. I like Nobel Peace Prize Grammy Award winner. Right. (laughs) So... Um, we just got a couple of minutes. You want to do a yeah. little uh, This Week in Local History? Yes, bringing us back to Clatsop County. So uh, let's see. You want to do one? Sure. March 20th, 1919. The first homing pigeon loft to be established in the city will be erected by the Boy Scouts in the immediate future. E.H. Bauer of Astoria is considered one of the Northwest's best authorities on homing pigeons, has taken up the matter with the local troop and agreed to coach the boys in the care and training of the birds. Why don't you bring that back? (laughs) Maybe. Uh, March 22nd, 1897. Astoria has passed an ordinance prohibiting spitting on the sidewalk and in public buildings. What is this country coming to anyway when the great American accomplishment of squirting tobacco juice has to be curtailed in this shameful manner? But let not the Astorians despair. All they need to do is to cross the line into Tillamook, and themselves, the cows, and the hens can have the sidewalks to them do with as they please. That's disgusting. <laughs> Let's yeah. bring that one back, too. Uh, so March 22nd, 1890. Oh, yeah, that's the same one. Well, it's the same. It's been estimated 
by close observers that there is at least 10,000 due the city treasury for violations of that spit <laughs> ordinance. If a policeman working on commission were kept on the trail of the spitters, he would break the town in a month. I like that. Wow. They don't okay. like those spitters. No. March 26, 1919. The plan now under consideration for the proposed new bridge across Young's Bay is to construct a concrete structure with a draw of 175 feet in length immediately west of the present bridge. It is to carry a wide roadway as well as double track railroad. We're linking Warrington and Astoria. Wow. Can't we all just get along? 1919. Yes, we can. <laughs> One more. March 25th, 1931, 35 or 40 members of the Warrington High School biology class made a longer stay in the vicinity of Cannon Beach's dead whale yesterday than <laughs> any of them had anticipated. The class, led by Miss Louise Bartlett, joined, journeyed to Cannon Beach and hiked south of Arch Cape to where the stranded monster lies on the beach. Interest in examining the big mammal was intense, and before any of them were aware, the tide had crept in and imprisoned the entire class on a small bit of land not far from the whale. That's a little scary. Oops. All right. <laughs> Go make some history. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. Thank you for joining us for An Adventure in History. An Adventure in History is created and produced by the Clatsop County Historical Society and brought to you by KMUN.